A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, Swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. <laughs> Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. We always want to reduce that gulf between who we think we are and what we're actually doing. But we have to actually have like a framework or a tool or a system to be able to evaluate to know if that's happening. When you look across these different sectors and experiences that you've had, what are the things that are getting in the way? So much of it is self-interest. And if you're not even cognizant of what your motivations are, you're constantly making choices that might not actually be aligned with who you think you are. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF podcast. A couple weeks back at the BOF Professional Summit, we had an outstanding speaker, Ania Williams, the founder of Black and Brown Founders and a co-founder of Zebras Unite, who gave an important talk on building racial equity from the ground up. We had such a positive response to Ania's talk that we decided to speak to her again to discuss in detail more of her thoughts, ideas, and perspectives on how the fashion industry can become more inclusive. Here's Ania Williams, Inside Fashion. Welcome, Ania. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be back. I'm, I was like so humbled and excited uh, about the response to last week's talk. So it's my pleasure to be here today. Continue Thank you. The conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Well, last time um, 
we didn't get much of an opportunity to understand your background and how you ended up doing the work that you do now. So, you know, in the first instance, I'd love for you to just explain, you know, how you got here and, you know, how did you we know, get yeah, how did you get yeah. here? <laughs> That's a great question. So I'm like, it's such an interesting, um, you know, kind of windy path in thinking about how I got here today. Uh, some of the, one of the things that a lot of people don't know about me um, is that I actually started my, uh, I don't know if you say my career, but there was a, there were like many trajectories that my life has had that kind of then navigated to a new path. And that was the new thing. And so it started with me kind of really as a, as an artist, as a, as a musician, as a singer, uh, I trained for a very large portion of my life as a classical and operatic singer. Um, and so I've spent a lot of time on stages. Uh, and, um, That's that was that opera was, queenie. That's why I'm opera queenie. Yes. <laughs> when I created all of my like social media handles, like my first Twitter handle, I was still an opera singer at that time. Um, and so, uh, but you know, that went a different path when I realized I would like to have a job that has like health insurance and benefits and a steady paycheck and not having to audition all the time for my money. Uh, and so I ended up kind of going into um, arts administration. I actually started working at arts nonprofits in fundraising. Um, and that was actually the culmination of a lot of things that I did uh, when I was in college. But one of the actual key moments there that fused those things together was I was um, in student government when I was in college. I went to Penn State University and I was the diversity chair of their student government. So even when I was, you know, basically just coming coming of age, I was already kind of involved in the work of, of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and one of the projects that I was leading uh, when I was at school was actually to start an endowment fund for a scholarship uh, that would basically go towards students who were doing work towards diversifying um, the university. And so, uh, so that was how I first started to get familiar with the world of fundraising and major gifts. And that was when I was like, oh, maybe this is like a job I could have that's in the arts and I could still be connected to the things I love. And so um, a lot of that experience then kind of came into play when I graduated from school, I went into major gifts fundraising. And then after that, I actually, I met a guy who's now my husband, um, but he's a software engineer. And uh, after a few years of us being together, he got recruited to work at this, you know, hot new startup in the Valley um, called Yammer. And we decided to quit our jobs and move 3,000 miles away from everyone we knew and everything we knew to California. Um, and we haven't looked back. And, and actually not too long after that, Yammer ended up getting acquired by Microsoft. So it actually ended up being one of the kind of bigger success stories for unicorns in the Valley. And then that also changed the trajectory of my life. When I moved here, I transitioned from nonprofit fundraising to like, I wanna see what this tech thing is about this is like, like there is somewhere in this for me and I need to find out what it is. And so I got my foot in the door at this startup called Voxer. Um, and at the time I was like way overqualified for this job. I was like, I'm, I just want to get my foot in the door. I want to meet new people. I didn't know anyone. So I, I started as like a part-time office manager um, coming off of being like a major gifts fundraiser at the, the job I had before. And I was just like, let me just see like what needs to be done. I just started jumping in and I learned so much about the tech industry. I learned so much about um, kind of how things move around here and just the whole culture around startups where there's always way more things that need to be done than there are people to do them. And if you jump in and you're like doing that thing and you're good at it, like that becomes your thing. Um, and so it's just like, it's an industry where opportunity is, really boundless in a lot of ways. And I really bought into that. Like this is going to come full circle in a moment. Like I bought into that hand over fist because my experience for the first few years of moving and living in the Valley very much kind of like seemed to, to jibe with the sort of narrative of, of what happens when you're in startups and like success is just like there for the taking and, and all of that. Um, but we didn't realize how we also were just very lucky. <laughs> at the time because then what the real moment came uh, a few years later i was actually running the marketing team at boxer so i navigated kind of moved my way through that i was on the executive team but i also knew that it was time for me to move on and i had this idea because uh, i was working so boxer is a company that makes an, an, an audio application 
that basically does voice messaging. And uh, I was using audio all the time. I'm a musician, so I was listening to music all the time. I was away from my family, so I was on the phone all the time. So I was always using my headphones. And I had an iPhone. I just hated having like this like rat's nest of wires that was buried at the bottom of my bag all the time. I was like, I want to wear them on my body. But like, I spent too much like, I, this, this doesn't happen by accident. I don't want like rubber wires like all over, you know? So I was like, I want my electronic to actually be a piece of jewelry that I can wear. And, uh, and I actually feel bad now that I didn't put it on for this because it's like, and I don't have one near me in this room. But, uh, but you can look it up on, on tinsel.me and see what actually came of that because I was like, I want to be able to wear my headphones as a necklace that no one would be able to tell was anything other than a necklace until I take it out and you see that there's headphones. Um, and I, I went to the CEO of the company I was working at at the time and I told him, I was like, hey, I, I don't know what I'm doing next, but I do have this idea and you know people, can you like introduce me to some people who know how to you know, design physical products? And, uh, and he was like, sure, I know a guy. And he introduced me to a friend of his who then also was like, yeah, like I'm gonna tell you all the things that you need to know about manufacturing like a hardware product, but you should know this is really hard. You should know that in the tech industry, like people don't like hardware, they don't like women, they don't like fashion, <laughs> like all of these things are gonna like play against you. And I'm like, you know, I'm always up for a challenge, so bring it on. And, uh, and he was like, but you should get, you should get Tom in on this because I think he would actually back this and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll voice support for you. And um, between those two, um, it ended up being becoming real. Tom committed to becoming my first angel investor. Um, his friend became my advisor and helped with making my first uh, introductions to people who could make this thing a reality. And so from there, I became my own tech entrepreneur. I'm like, Tom, I'm going to quit working for you. I'm going to start this company. You're going to own part of it. It's going to be amazing. And he was just like, I've seen what you can do working for me. Like, if anybody's going to make this thing happen, it's going to be you. So like, I'm, I'll put my money on that. Um, and that was the beginning of, of me creating and becoming a tech founder. And so all of those stories that were in my head about how this works in the Valley and like, it doesn't matter. Like every, it's, it's a meritocracy rolling my eyes at that now. Uh, and then actually coming out the gate and like doing the thing and building the thing and like coming up with completely different like uh, outcomes than I was expecting and definitely different outcomes than my white male counterparts. Uh, I definitely know that there like are people who are out here who are also white males and they struggle with it too. But generally like not as much of a problem when you can see uh, you know, guys who have virtually like a back of the napkin kind of idea and getting millions of dollars of funding. And then someone like me who has already like basically reversed the rotation of the earth and is sitting in front of an investor who's just like, I just don't really see the opportunity here. And I'm like, wow, okay, really? Um, and so really starting to come, become acquainted with what some of these challenges were. And also just starting to realize that there was just, opportunity that was being missed and a lot of that was very much based in bias and a lot of that was very much based in very closed networks um and like how so much of getting things done in business in general but also here in the valley it's really on the strength of relationships and if you're not in that club and people don't know you like they're not gonna put their neck out there they're not gonna get unlock the resources for you um and so i also just as i was doing all these things i became really fascinated with why 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 is that a thing uh because like i know i'm awesome and i'm like i have done things that a lot of people cannot do and yet and like what they always would say especially when they're talking about early stage founders um is that it's about the founder right like at that stage you're investing in an idea and that idea the belief of that idea it's in the team it's in da 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 can they pull it off yada yada um and I'm just like, I mean, I'm a fairly impressive person, but like you're looking at me right now and you're clearly not seeing that. Um, and I just kind of became really familiar at, with the fact that we just all have these, these blind spots, you know, um, and really kind of wanted to, to do more investigating of what does it look like for us to uh, be able to start to, to grapple with those things and to redirect ourselves, right? Give ourselves the tools to do better. Um, the other thing that I would actually also add, and this is a really 
important part um, that I don't really get a chance to talk a lot about, but when we were going into production, actually it was when we had just finished our first production run um, and we're like getting ready to ship out the first order of necklaces. Like we went all the way to like actually shipping product, which a lot of hardware startups do not get to that stage. Um, and like I, my, I had also had a baby um, cause I got pregnant like six months after I started the company that was not a part of the plan. Uh, but it was like, okay, two startups at once, here we go. Uh, and, um, and, and just also just the whole journey of, of becoming a mother while also kind of giving birth to this product. There's so many things to, to discover there, but the, the important part was that there was just so much pressure, um, and like tension, uh, and like an unbalance that started to really build up within my relationship with my husband. He had been just so patient. I mean, he still is like, he's a heroic husband. Um, and like, I don't like what it's like to be married to an entrepreneur period, but also someone who's manufacturing a product in China and has to actually physically go there while she's still breastfeeding an infant yeah. is, is a whole other level of husbandry. <laughs> and so, um, and, but like, just really, just real, but he's human, you know? And so there was a whole, like, really rough patch that, that he and I had to come through. And where we were, like, breaking down, where, like, things were breaking down in our relationship to each other was actually where I feel like the discovery happened for me with all of the things that I was able to, to bring to people last week. And I mean, we are talking about this through the lens of, of racial equity, but the reality of it is, it's the same things um, that you have to connect with in order to, to be able to have a beautiful marriage <laughs> and friends, <clears throat> excuse me, and friends who want to be around you and to try to approach equity in the workplace. It all comes from the same, excuse me, <clears throat> ah, it all comes from the same filter, right? It all comes yeah. from the same skill set. It all comes from the same ability to recognize, as I was talking about before, these blind spots that you have and to learn how to be in relationship with people. Um, I think like one of the, the biggest like epiphanies that I had during all this journey was that like, there was this, there was this, there was this situation that I feel like I kept kind of running against where it was like realizing that I could be right or I could like, be in relationship with a person, <laughs> you know, like, it's like, yes, you can be right and alone because nobody wants to be around you because you feel like it's so important for you to win every time. Um, right. I think that there was another part of me that was very much rooted in this understanding. Like I had this moment where I realized that I was also trying to extend this reality um, to my husband. That was my reality. I was trying to like treat him and expect from him um, to make the decisions and to think about things in the same ways that I did. And it wasn't until I really started to like understand and accept that he has had a completely different experience in living. He has had a completely different set of relationships. Um, and all of those things inform how we show up and how we interpret things and how we respond to things. Um, and it just wasn't fair for me to be like, he should be doing this um, because I don't live in his reality. He's got a different reality than mine. And so I started to understand that what was really important was how do I create a shared reality with him where like these two things kind of merge and it's like a space where we are able to understand each other and communicate and come to solutions for like problems that come up. Um, and realizing that if you look at that at a macro level in a lot of ways, that is what's happening. Like this very talk that we're doing right now it's the same shit. Uh, it's just in a different kind of context. It's so interesting that you say that because when I was reflecting on your presentation today, a lot of the words in there, you know, perfectionism, defensiveness, fear of open conflict, binary thinking, you know, these things are not just applicable in the context of, you know, diversity, inclusivity, and racial equity. They're kind of applicable in, in a wide variety of contexts. So, but before we get to the presentation, yeah. I want to start with the basics because, um, you know, throughout your experience, you know, starting at Penn State and then, um, you know, in, in, in the Silicon Valley and working your way uh, up through these various technology companies and then starting your own company, this common thread of diversity, inclusion, and equity has kind of remained a consistent part of your journey. So in the first instance, 
you know, when you're trying to define what that means to people, how do you define it? Because people are throwing around these words so liberally right now. Yeah. But, you know, how, how do you explain what that really is in terms of what we're trying to achieve? You know, that is a fantastic question. I've never thought about it, but I can tell you what I think. Like, I would say that it is, <clears throat> it's belonging, like at its core, I think it's belonging and it is like allowing for the presence of all different kinds of things, uh, different shapes, different forms, different ways of thinking, different backgrounds, and like allowing all of those to belong in the same space together um, and finding ways for them to be able to, again, be in relationship with each other. It's so funny too, because uh, related to that, I was having a conversation with my husband the other day uh, and he, he was saying that, uh, you know, all there is, is us like trying to figure out what we're going to do with each other. Like that is, that is living. Um, and it's, it's so true in so many ways. Uh, and so I think that when we, when we ask like, what is, what is DEI like really? I, I think that that's what it is all about. It's about us trying to figure out what are we going to do with each other? <laughs> How okay. are we going to be in relationship with each other? What, what is our relationship to each other going to be? Um, and like, is that the most fair, equitable, like, uh, representation of that, that it can be. Got it. So, you know, some of the challenges that you've outlined, um, you know, especially in the Valley, those are not exclusive to the, to Silicon Valley, as we know from the conversations that are happening around the world right now, you know, these issues around equity and inclusion, it's, it's like everywhere, you know, and I think what one of the biggest realizations, you know, for me personally, is that this systemic issues around racism, around inclusion, um, they are present in every little part of everything that we do, um, in every interaction we have, and especially in the workplace and in the fashion industry, as I'm sure you know, this conversation has been um, you know, taken a whole new level in recent weeks, as it has in other industries, I'm sure. But our industry is finally having, I think, some of the most honest and open conversations around the topic. You know, when you, when you look across these different sectors and, and experiences that you've had, what are the things that are getting in the way? You know, mm. what, are, what are getting, what, what's blocking us from creating that sense of belonging? in these different aspects of our lives and in different industries and in different sectors all over the world? Yeah. Um, one, I think it's a beautiful thing that these conversations are finally happening. They're hard conversations to have. I know they make people so incredibly uncomfortable. Um, but as I was saying in the presentation last week, like it's a necessary part of the process. The discomfort is actually like a key ingredient to getting to the other side. Um, but uh, I think the, bi the biggest thing that gets in the way um, is self-interest, like in a way. Um, and I, I, I say that phrase and it, and it means a lot of things. Um, but I think of the fact that we're constantly making choices every day, right? And I think like the, the choices that we make can be as minor as, you know, am I going to have juice or coffee, right? Um, but you're like, when you're deciding if you're gonna have juice or coffee, you're making, you're actually even weighing like a calculus in your head of like, what's the benefit of me doing coffee versus juice? Like, do I want the extra sugar? Like, yeah, it's gonna taste good. It might make me feel good for a moment, but like I'm on this low carb diet, mm, it's probably not the right choice. You know what I mean? So it's like, you're, you're thinking through these things and whatever those filters are, like tend to kind of be something that ultimately like comes back in service of, of yourself, especially if it feels like a very small decision, like you can own that and like do the thing that you want to do. Fuck it. If I want to have the carbs and drink the juice, I'm going to drink the juice. Right. Um, and so these are, I, I would say that like even something like that, where you show up and you're actually like in a more complex conversation, maybe about, I don't know, I'm making this up, but uh, someone said a uh like an offensive phrase in a slack chat slack ch company chat and you're trying to figure out you know 
if, and this person is like a high ranking, like person at the company. Um, and you now have to grapple with what you're going to do about that. Right. And like power comes into play, uh, because it's not like, this is someone who works in the mail room. This is someone who's highly visible. This is someone who makes very big decisions about the company. And you have to also show that this is something you care about. How do you handle that situation? Right. You're making a choice even there. And so I think that, um, the best that we can really do is to start to like knowing that we are inherently, you know, self-interested. And when I say self-interested, I think a lot of that comes back to a place of pre preservation and survival um, and what things like our brains have kind of coded as being associated with that. And, and that constantly is actually our filter. So I feel like what, what is going to happen and I'm going to get like a little bit, I don't know, woo woo probably, but I'd say that, um, you know, I keep thinking about this idea of, of, these like kind of different stages of human evolution. I might've mentioned this last week during the talk too, where it's like, okay, you know, we come into like inventing these new ways of, of existing and surviving. And those things have gotten increasingly more complex from like, you know, making tools and to, to cut meat or whatever, to like inventing fire, to being able to, you know, have the, the whole industrial revolution to, where we are now with computers and, and us being able to be m an ocean apart from each other and in real time having a conversation and seeing each other face to face, right? Like all of these advancements that we've had. I have this feeling that, you know, this next sort of level that we have to kind of go into as humans and, and as a civilized society, if you will, is one where we have to be able to really start to understand how we work inside. Like our minds are really like the most powerful tool that we have um, it is the thing that separates us from, you know, pretty much the rest of the animal kingdom. Uh, and like what, but we, we are not familiar with, with it. It's a thing that we have and we use every day, but we haven't really become as acquainted with it as we should. And it exists and looks differently for every person. And so that's why I always kind of come back to this, this like personhood, this self-discovery, this willing to be able to learn and grow and change and to really do the investigation of yourself on a regular basis. Because as I was saying, like so much of it is self-interest. And if you're not even cognizant of what your motivations are, you're constantly making choices that might not actually be aligned with who you think you are. Like, so you, you might have an idea of who you wanna be and what you think you're doing to show up in the world, but you don't actually have the evidence to corroborate that that's true. Um, and so a lot of that is giving people the, the tools to kind of understand and do that self-investigation. And then being able to actually have a framework to define, like, these are the things that are important to me. This is the person that I want to be. This is who I believe people, like, how I believe people should show up in the world. It gives you a filter, a compass to start to make those choices and do those in the ways that are actually aligned with you kind of becoming. So it's like a self-actualization in a lot of ways. So I think that like, um, to answer your question with a lot of words, uh, one would be self-interest. Uh, that's what I think is getting in the way. And two, I think like the counter to that is just giving people the tools to kind of do the self-discovery and uh, allowing them to really define who they believe that they should be and giving them a way to constantly have like um, what I like to call like a feedback loop of like, is that actually what's bearing out? Um, because the other thing that I, I've learned about people, and I told you like a lot of this kind of led me on this journey of just like, I want to learn about how do people work? Like, why do we do the stuff that we do? Right. Um, and, and a lot of that is also just knowing that we function by making predictions all the time, right? Like we are like our brains are prediction machines. Um, and so we're constantly, when we're doing that thing where we're like, okay, I'm making a choice. Um, we're actually also trying to make a guess about what's going to happen in either case. In some cases, this is the thing that's happened so many times. You don't have to even question it. You know that if you're drinking the orange juice, you are drinking sugar and there are carbs and calories in it, right? That is a proven fact. But when you're in a situation like the one I mentioned, the complex one where, okay, a senior level person like messed up and you have to communicate something and do something about it, what do you do? How do you handle that? You're also making a prediction there as you're kind of deciding what choice you're going to make. You're making a prediction about if I do this, people will respond in this way. Or if I do that, people will respond in that way. If I fire him, this like landslide of crazy things is going to happen. And so like, those are all of the things that we're always kind of trying to reduce that gulf 
between like <clears throat> us being certain about what's going to happen and like uh, what actually is going to happen. And that same thing is true about who we are. We always want to reduce that gulf between who we think we are and what we're actually doing. But we have to actually have like a framework or a tool or a system to be able to evaluate to know if that's happening. And so that's kind of what I personally try to optimize for all the time is like reducing the surprise between those two things. That's really powerful. And it makes me think about something you said earlier about blind spots. Yeah. And, and when you talk about self-examination, um, it kind of starts with the blind spots. You know, we've, we've been using, or people have been using the word unconscious bias a lot recently. Um, and, and let's start there as a kind of a starting point, because, hmm. you know, as you said, um, you know, we all have our blind spots, every single one of us through the, the experiences we've had. It sounds like you discovered that in your relationship with your husband as well. You, you figured out how your own experiences have kind of shaped you. And because you only know your own experience mm -hmm. and that's the lens and filter through which you've seen everything. It's kind of this, like, as you said, very uncomfortable moment when you start examining yourself and you start realizing and understanding actually there are so many other ways that I could think about this that I hadn't even considered. Exactly. So when you think about unconscious bias, for, for people out there who are, who are on this journey of self-examination and trying to kind of narrow the gap of who they want to be and who they really are, how yeah. do you, how do you, how do you how, like what advice do you have to offer for people? Yeah, um, I would say that in that, in that moment, um, and I like to use the word surprise because that's kind of the phrase they use in like, information theory um if you want to nerd out about like artificial intelligence um but i think about uh the that that surprise like that's the thing that is it, like bringing that discomfort um and so when you have these moments basically like you have the option to do two things uh one of them is to like act to make it true right like you can and acting to make it true is you know, doing the thing where like, it could be denial. I mean, that's a thing I'd say that's probably one of the more common act to make it true is that you just reject like this new piece of information. I don't believe it. And therefore I don't have to respond to it. Um, and so there's that, uh, but the, the other option, which I, I think is more preferable most of the time, uh, is that you update your mental model. Like you have to like, then take that piece of information and say, Oh, okay, I thought it worked like this, but actually it can also work this way. Like this thing is also true. Um, and I think that that's kind of one of the really key pieces when we're thinking about these kind of different realities we're living in is that that reality is, is true to that person, right? Like even if it is not grounded in uh, what we can call like a verifiable fact, so to speak, um, like they believe it and therefore it's true to them. And if you try to tell them that that's not real, like we're instantly programmed to reject that. Um, and so I think that what, what's the, the best thing to do is to just kind of create this environment where someone can kind of come around to understanding that themselves and be kind of incentivized to actually accept that like, oh, there is more than one possibility that actually exists here. Um, and that, you know, I can respond to that accordingly. So I, I think that really that's, that's the thing. It's like updating your mental model when you have those moments. And I think it takes a while to maybe process what does that mean? Um, and what are all the implica implications for the things that I thought I knew like before this moment? That's what takes time. That's how, that's all of the moments of you working through the discomfort. So if you remember the diagram that I put up last week and it had like the kind of safe zone, the like learning zone, the different yeah. zones and yeah. So yeah. it's like, you know, if that, that discomfort is like when you're first having that reckoning as you're processing that and starting to really update and understand like, oh, so if that's true, then probably also that is true. If that is possible, probably also that is possible. It starts to then, so then when you're by in that last zone, it's like, you've now got just this expanded thinking of what is happening. Um, and it's also broadening your worldview. It's broadening how you can show up in relationship with people because now you have more archetypes in your brain of like how people can respond, how people can show up, how people believe things, how other people experience things that are beyond your own personal experience. And it's so critical to kind of creating connection between people. So like when you actually do want to establish trust in a relationship with someone, like you have to, you have to establish that kind of connection 
And that really only comes by you really validating and them believing that you respect and understand their experience in the Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. World. Right. Yeah, I, I think a lot about the word pluralism when I start thinking mm. about these different perspectives, right? It's like one of my favorite words because, you know, so many people can be in the same situation and perceive things differently. And actually, all of the perspectives are valid. And mm -hmm. for me, a big part of the conversations that need to happen is to help people understand that there are these other perspectives and all of them are equally valid as well. They are. They are. And I say that knowing that like, I can go on Twitter right now and find all kinds of like, right-wing craziness that somebody is reading and like oh yeah that is definitely true that jives with everything i have experienced and know about in the world that i live in right and it's scary and terrifying but like if you're actually talking about like how do you show up how are we gonna like have a conversation that's productive um it has to start from me again like validating what your experience is like And it's so hard for us to do. This is, again, a part of like us kind of getting to that next evolutionary level is like us being able to like cognitively know that that dissonance is there in your mind, but pushing past it to kind of like, and I think so much of it also kind of comes down to a place of humility and accepting that you don't know everything. You have not experienced everything. Um, and that's, again, like what allows us to start to like shine light on the blind spots that we have. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, like all of the, all of the, the actions that I'm going to take to kind of figure out 
why this person uh, like is living in this reality is like the thing that can come after that. But the first thing that you have to do is like validate it. And I think like it's it's also just like I've watched this happen in conversations with people where you can really be in a very tense moment. By the way, this doesn't always work because if you're in an emotional state, like sometimes the emotion, the fight, flight, freeze, it takes over and it just, it a productive conversation cannot happen in that moment. You have to like separate and then come back together and try again. Like that happens even here in this house, that happens. Um, and like with two people who very much love each other and want to be in relationship with each other, you gotta like, mm, this is not the moment for that. Uh, so, but assuming that that is the right moment, like in sometimes when things actually are pretty charged up, like you can deescalate those things very often just by like hearing, listening, telling the person like, and again, that's why I kind of talked about like the, um, you know, listen, mirror and validate. So like listening to what the person is saying and then saying to them what you think you heard, like, it sounds like, ba 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 and like, allow them to confirm if you got right what you think you heard, right? So that, that's like one of the steps in creating a shared reality. It sounds like this is what you're saying. It sounds like this is what you're feeling. Like, is that right? And then them confirming it and you validating the fact that it's okay for them to feel that and that they are warranted in that because in their reality, it makes sense to them and they are not going to want to move to the part where you try to diffuse or not diffuse, but you try to resolve or like create a solution for whatever is happening in that moment until you have at least said that like I see that and I realize that 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 if that happened to me I would also be upset about that yeah. um and it, I know it's also really hard to do that if you're also feeling emotional like that's part of the growth of like being able to do that because like I was saying but like believing is free it's actually like the cheapest thing you can do it's just really hard because it kicks us a little bit in the ego to do it when we disagree with someone but if you can, then there's like a productive conversation on the other side of it. So let's let's take this now to like a, a professional environment, um, a work environment where, yeah. you know, companies throughout the fashion industry are trying, you know, to create a better sense of belonging. Uh, and, you know, fashion companies tend to be based in big cities like London and New York and Paris, which are in a way, microcosms of the world. And so everyone that's coming into those workspaces, they all have different perspectives. They might come from different you know, races, different genders, different nationalities, different religions. How is it that we create, you know, if you're, if you're advising a leader that's yeah. trying to build the sense of inclusion and belonging into their own organizations, how can you bring such disparate groups of people together and create a truly pluralistic environment where other people's, everyone's opinions are not necessarily everyone agrees with everyone all the time because that's right. impossible, but where everyone's opinions are valued and respected. Yeah, I think one of those things definitely comes from, like, as you even just hinted at, it's first like the acceptance of knowing that conflict is inevitable in the workplace, it's gonna happen. I think that the other thing that I'm gonna kind of get into after this, I can also really see how this might very easily um, sort of chafe, if you will, <laughs> against uh, like kind of corporate policies and how corporations are formed and how they exist and how they have worked since we can remember. Um, and there's a, a lot there that, you know, I've been a part of a lot of conversations uh, to that degree about, you know, just in general, like, what does it look like for business culture to change? We already know here in the, uh, the United States, at least, like, there are CEOs of, of, you know, Fortune 500 companies who have been talking about how they kind of need to be more responsible and blah, blah, blah. And like, I think there's still a very big question mark about what does that actually mean? Um, because like, there is like they are, they can be competing forces. Um, the thing that is actually the right thing to do, if we're talking about really acting in alignment with values um, and, and having that pluralistic view as you're talking about, uh, and then like what's on paper in terms of like how we're meeting our like, uh, you know, profit goals at the end of the quarter. Um, and like, what does that demand? Uh, and so people balancing those things is going to be a really interesting exercise. And I'm sure it's going to be different at every company. So I wanted to like acknowledge that. But um, so one, I think is to, to know and, and accept the fact that that conflict is going to happen. Um, I also know that most companies are, tend to be set up 
for lots of reasons. Like, I'm not saying that this is dumb, but I'm saying it, it is in competition with like the kind of outcomes we want um, that like they have, you know, like their HR departments, for example, are really more equipped to try to like keep the company like from being liable for things versus like risk management we're yeah. all here for understanding and belonging um it's like i am here to document this incident happening so that if it is in a court of law we have the ability to show that we didn't do anything that was wrong right um and so so i think that like the whole messiness of us kind of trying to navigate and figure out and find those like those comfortable spaces for people can can uh have some some real dissonance there um but like for instance i can think about in specifically like a group of people who um like one of the groups of people who i actually a couple of the groups of people that i've uh co-created like initiatives with um have actually kind of gone back even through like having you know dissonance happen between us or having conflicts between us that felt really bad for everyone um once we like acknowledge we're like you know what conflict is going to happen let's actually talk about what we're going to do when conflict happens and like designing that together and actually writing it down so that like when and like actually even one of the things that we have done in two of the groups that I'm in is we even kind of created like a safe word um, so that like if something escalates to a point where someone is just really had it like you say that word and like we are agreeing that this conversation is going to get tabled and we're going to come back to it like it's just too hot nothing productive is going to come out of this either because i'm recognizing i'm too upset or like you know the energy is just not where it needs to be safe word put it down cool off come back um and so and then just so that was like one thing but also just like us kind of calling out in some ways what are the things that we know actually even speak to uh like triggers that make us really mad uh or make us really upset so you know, as um, in one of these groups, I am uh, the only black woman. And there are things that are triggers for me because I am a black woman in America. There are things that people can say to me in an interaction that like, even though I know that it's a thing, it's like when it happens, it just like, it gets to some primal part of my brain. And when it happens, I'm like, oh no, that is not like, it's, I turn into a different person. We are not like, it is, you know, like shots have been fired and I am about to like go in. Do you know what I mean? And so um, it's like knowing that that I can at least identify those things and share those things with people so they know that like, oh, you know what? Mm -mm -mm. Um, the other thing that uh, has also been really helpful is to like realize that we're always telling ourselves these stories um, and like articulating those out loud. I think I mentioned this in the in the talk last week too, uh, that I love like Brene Brown. She kind of does that thing, like the story I'm telling myself, uh, because I also realized that in, in conflict, when we're in the workplace, when people are able to articulate the story that they're telling themselves and they can have somebody respond to it, sometimes actually in even articulating the story, you realize that like, mm, really, is that a thing I should be upset about? <laughs> like, is it that deep? Uh, and then there's the other part of it too that people can be like, oh, if that's what you thought was happening, I could see why you're like really mad about that. But let me like try to actually tell you what I was thinking when that happened. And like you might realize that there were just two, you were just in two completely different places um, and that it actually wasn't what you thought it was at all that made you upset. So it's like having all of these tools, I think naming and knowing that conflicts are inevitable um, and then kind of creating a process for resolution around that is really, really important um it's so important because i just think like bar bar none there's a lot of people who are out there that have been groomed to avoid conflict and um and i don't think that we should go trying to stir it up by any means necessary uh like i think that we just need to be prepared for what we do when that happens um and like having people who all kind of come in and agree and have shared expectations of what happens in resolution when these moments come up before you're in the tense moment is really, really helpful, you know, because that allows people to buy into the process. And then when it's happening, it's a mechanism of accountability for everyone involved to say, this is what we said we were going to do. And then if something happens and like what you have on paper doesn't really fit that framework, then you can acknowledge that like, you know what, we didn't really account for this situation to happen. But like, here's what we think, like, here's what we think we're seeing. 
um, how to like, is this the right thing to do next time when this happens? Like, I think again, like leaving some room for that to evolve over time, because I feel like if there's one thing that I, I also have really seen about like when we, we watch kind of humans work in groups, um, is like that trust factor is really big. And if you are at least having some level of transparency, even about not knowing all the answers, but you like agree and you seem to like actually in a like show up in a way where you're trying to to do the best and be as like have as much integrity to that promise that you made as possible people will give a lot of they have a lot more forgiveness and allowance there when they feel like okay they have not figured it out but they're really trying and like okay we realized there was a gap here and now we're trying to address it like these are the things that give people all the signals that even though it's not perfect, even though this is uncomfortable, or even though I didn't like the outcome that happened, this was what we all agreed to. So do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, one other thing that you said last week that kind of stayed with me, and I could see that it resonated with people on, on social media too, because I saw people typing it out on Twitter and other places. You said, um, you are not going to hire your way to diversity, <laughs> inclusion, and equity. And I, I, find that, I find that a really powerful statement, but I also find it challenging because, you know, a lot of people right now in companies are kind of exposing their makeup. And, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're saying, you know, you know this, is how, this is who we are as an organization by gender or race or, you know, whatever other categories. And, you know, the next natural step for many of them is say, oh, well, we don't, we're not truly representative. So when you say you're not going to hire your way to diversity and inclusion, clearly hiring is part of it, but there's clearly more to what you were saying there. And I'd, I'd love to go deeper on that with you. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because I'm like, that actually was a, a, a bit that came up. Um, like that statement was something that had come up in conversation I was having with, uh, with some friends as well. And it, it definitely stuck with me. Um, and you know, in the, in the context of me saying it, I think in a, in a way, like it's a little bit facetious in the sense of, uh, you know, you absolutely do want to continue to hire a diverse group of people, right? Like it's not to say like, don't bother. Um, but what it means is that like, you know, the hiring really alone is not enough. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there's the, the whole conversation that can be had literally just about the hiring process, right? Like how you're sourcing, how you're taking people through the evaluation of whether they're going to be a fit uh, for your company and, and what happens when you make them an offer. Uh, but the thing I was really hitting at last week was around the environment that exists to support those people before you bring them in. Um, because I think that uh, it's easy to kind of look at the numbers and say, well, we're only like 3% like of ba ba ba. Uh, and we really like, I mean, this, this, there's 30% of those people live in this geographic area just around this like office, right? Um, and like, there's, there's probably something wrong there. So we should increase that number. So I think like, you know, that's a good thing. That's a good kind of logical train of thought to have. But the other thing too, is like the reasons why it would be 3% versus like where there's a 30% population of those people around your office like you also have to grapple with that and resolve that. Um, like it's not good to bring people who are different uh, into an environment with that's very homogenous and people are complete, like have not done the work uh, or attempted to like be accommodating or really understand what it means to have that kind of diversity around them because it just ends up being really harmful and toxic to the people that you're bringing in. It like they will constantly be an other in that environment. And that again, back to the belonging thing, like nobody wants that at work, especially when you feel like you have nobody who's backing you for either the wins that you're having um, and the work that you're doing and recognizing the value that you're contributing to the, the company. Nobody wants to be in that position. The other thing is um, when you actually have something happen where maybe you made a mistake it makes people feel like they're at risk for like the very smallest kind of infraction could result in them having like a catastrophic result that could hurt their career or their position at the company where someone else who's just kind of a part of the culture and they just fit in and people like them like it's like oh yeah whatever it's not a big deal but then when you do it it's like oh we gave you a zero on your performance review because 
that just was not acceptable. And like to you, like to person reviewing them, it might not even seem like that's like biased or wrong, right? Um, again, like you have to kind of recognize those types of double standards that happen and it's, it's very much cultural. Um, and so uh, to back to, to what you were talking about with pluralism, like I think all of those things absolutely come into the picture. So it's, it's a really about, and I say this mostly like at the leadership level, the leaders of the company have to be living that truth. It's the same thing, like we're watching this happen in the United States. We do not have a good role model as the president of the United States of America right now. I'm just gonna leave that there. Uh, but we see the ways in which these kind of cultural attributes um, trickle down. He is also the most visible person, not only here, like globally, he's incredibly visible. And like we even can like, for better or worse, watch the like process of him making decisions and the filters that he's using. And like, there are just like, I, not enough people have really done the work, I would say, to know like if that actually feels like the right thing, the fair thing, the thing that they can show up in who they believe to be thing, um, to question that. And so it, it sets a precedent for behavior. And I think the same thing happens within companies or like little mini universes where if the leadership is not buying into those ideals, they're not doing the work, they're not holding themselves accountable. I don't know how you can expect everyone else to do that too. They won't. Um, and then the other part of it is like, how do you think about incentives? Uh, I think one of the other things that, uh, that I have seen really from, from you know, people that I've talked to who work in larger companies, um, like where they see like DEI type of things become really effective is when they actually get tied to someone's compensation or when they actually get tied to how they are, are being rated. Because the other thing is that it's just too often like a, uh, like a, like a extracurricular, extracurricular activity um, for people to engage in the work around diversity in a, in a workplace where it's like, oh yeah, and let's try to make this diverse. And like, we'll like give you a great pat on the back, but it's not like we're gonna give you an extra bonus or it's not like you're gonna have to take a 2% pay cut if you don't meet this target of how many people we're supposed to bring in. And if people aren't saying that, you know, when they were having their meetings with you that you were there and you were listening and you were supporting them or whatever things that you've decided are, are valuable like behaviors you want your leaders to have. Um, but if they have no skin in the game, like why would they do that? That's just like extra work. Like I'm not even getting paid for that. Why would I do that, right? Um, so how you think about incentivizing employees to do that is also really key. Yeah. You know, we're almost out of time and um, I wanted to conclude and go back to that individual journey. And you said something really powerful um, towards the end of your talk last week. You said, figure out what role you can play. You can commit to a lifetime of practice. You will never finish this journey. Are you going to be a leader of change? Can you talk more about what you mean there and like why this journey never ends? Yeah. Um, it's funny because I, I think about journey i like the word journey and i think some people don't like the word journey because a journey kind of implies that it has an end um and i'm like but it's a never-ending journey uh and it's like uh and and in a way like i actually think that it's like a journey that goes inward um like it's it's like going deeper and deeper inside of yourself i wish that i had the words to really like adequately describe how scary it is to go and do a journey of self-discovery, you are going to find things that you do not like about yourself. You're gonna find things, you're gonna go back and think about actions you have taken in the past that are gonna make you very uncomfortable and sad and disappointed and probably ashamed of like the, the ways in which you have shown up in situations. Um, but like, I also really strongly believe that those are the things that make the conditions possible for you to do better. Like if you don't have the bad stuff, like you won't really have like a, a counterpoint to know how to do the good stuff. Um, and so I, I think, um, you know, that, that, so anyway, so like, yes, it is a lifelong journey. And I think that the other part of it too, like if, if we go back to kind of that, the four stages of kind of learning that we went through um, and like it actually probably should be, you know, 
cyclical. Like it should kind of be like a cycle because even when you get to the place of like having a mastery of a skill set or a really deep understanding of something, you're going to uncover another facet of something that you didn't know. Right. And so I think that like, this is my advice specifically to white people too, um, which is that like, I think that it's, it's good to kind of get to this place to work on that and like feel like you can get to a place of confidence. The thing that I, I always like worry about with white people in particular, because I, I find that they are not as used to being in situations of discomfort as other people, <laughs> um, that it's not as much of a regular part of their existence as other people. And so it's, there's definitely always a desire to run away from that. Um, it's that knowing that like you are going to have to experience this for the rest of your life and being okay with that, that it's going to be a cycle that's going to continue for the rest of your life. But every time you do that and you come out on the other side of it, like the rewards are boundless. Like you are going to be such a better person. You're going to find that you're able to engage with people in ways that you just never could. It's going to bring such a richness to your life. Um, into your experience, into the relationships that you have. And the other thing that I didn't mention last week that also is probably pretty key is that the quality of human life, like the quality of our lives, how we, like the thing that actually matters the most to us and how we think about, was this a life worth living is actually like uh, the quality of the relationships that we have with other people. That is actually the thing that matters. It doesn't really like matter that much, how much money you make and all the other things, the material things relationships with other human beings. That is what actually matters. And so being able to do this work, being able to do this self-discovery, it makes you show up in relationship to other people in a better way. It like, like if you think about like fidelity, it like, it makes you, it's like very high fidelity version of you, right? <laughs> a lossless version. Um, and like that is, that's the thing that just, it just bears such beautiful fruit and how you can kind of start to to exist alongside other people and like what you can do for each other and what people can do for you. Um, it's like this very odd thing actually that again, to use my marriage as an example, I like to draw on that because it's the one example I can easily point to people to tell them that like, you know, I want this to work, right? Like if there's any relationship <laughs> that I really, really want to work and I really like, and it's hard, right? And like knowing that like, if I could, wave a magic wand and never have a fight with my husband for the rest of my life, I'd be like, how much does it cost? Like I'm on it, right? I don't want that to happen. I don't, if I could do that, I would do that. But I know I'm absolutely going to have another argument with my husband. Like it's inevitable. And if I know that that's true with the person who I love the most, of course it's true with a complete stranger. Of course it's true with the people you work with. Um, of course it's true with your friends and your family. So just thinking about that. So one of the things that, again, like I took away was that like when I actually started to ask myself what I could do for him, it like made it so much better in everything that came back to me. Uh, and I think a lot of that is also because again, human behavior, like we very much operate on this kind of reciprocal altruism type of code. Like that's like the original core social contract between humans. And so like the doing for is something that like makes other people want to do for as well. And so it's like, when you increase these skills, you go on this journey, you get better at leveling up, you get better at being with and being in relationship with people. And then like, it's like, you're there and you're doing something for them and they want to do something back to you. And so that's why I'm like, it just makes your life better, richer. Like it's, it's colorful, it's vibrant. It's, it's the life that you want to have. Like that's what's on the other side of going through all the pain and not just trying to skirt around it just go dive into it don't be afraid of it yeah well here's to that high fidelity life i feel like i feel like a bit like this was a therapy session too there's so much so much there's so much wisdom in your words ania and i'm i'm i think the way you apply this philosophy to your personal and professional life it, it really feels like you've reached that level of self-actualization. And I'm, 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 so, I'm so grateful that you shared all of that with us. I wasn't expecting it to be so personal. <laughs> but as you say, this all begins with a personal journey. And um, for everyone who's listening, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ania. Yeah, uh, thank we you. Hope, I hope we can keep in touch with you. I'm sure there's so much more we can learn from each other. 
Absolutely. You know where to find me. And I'm so glad that we did this. This was wonderful. Thank you, everyone who came and, and shared the space with us. Amazing. Well, that's all for today on BOF Live. I'm Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. Stay tuned for more episodes of BOF Live. We're doing a few few episodes every week now. Um, even now that the lockdowns are over, you can still catch up with us and our favorite experts and thinkers and inspirational people from all around the world. That's all. Bye-bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis, regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, and all of the online courses and learning materials from BOF Education. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.